Welcome. Dr. James Beckett, Sports Guard Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about uh, vintage baseball. I, 67 tops, that's definitely vintage in the eyes of uh, just about everybody, I think. And it's a great set that uh, Rich recalls, I recall. It's a beautiful set. But first, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini Upper Deck, especially Tops for producing that excellent set. And uh, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Burbank, I mean, oh, <laughs> Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, and then ComC.com. 67 Tops, iconic set, some really key uh, cards in there that probably touch, maybe doesn't touch Panini and Upper Deck that much, but it's certainly all the others. I think people would be delighted if somebody walked into their store or walked up to an auction and said, I've got this, you know, this uh, monster box or whatever of 67 tops. That'd be, that'd be a pleasant, pleasant uh, look. Don't you think? Well, the cards are so beautiful. I think it's pleasant. You know, as long as they're in reasonably nice condition, they don't have to be mint. Even VGX or better would be gorgeous. The photo photography is really good. It works well. It, It reminds me of the 57 set in a lot of ways with how good the photos are in the background and the backs are very readable. I, I think people would just like look, you know, looking. And I've written about you can. Uh, one of the great things about ComC where I work is you can do a virtual tour of the fifth of the '67 set, front and back, and it's and you'll you'll have all the images to your heart's content, and you can really enjoy the beauty of the set that way. Well, the border makes it pretty evident whether the centering is you know outstanding or inferior. And Tops did have some centering issues in those days, but it was very evidenced by the by the by the border treatment. And when you do go to ComC or any other place where you're seeing cards, you, you can see in a multitude of conditions to see that uh, one of the questions that one of the that, that generated this, Rich, is uh, somebody, uh, uh, Craig wrote in and asked about the, what about the brownbacks? And I went, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about, the brownbacks. And then he showed me that there was kind of a, the, the more uh, white card stock back, uh, the back of the card is whiter. And then another the, then there was the same card in like a, a uh, like a slightly lesser grade of cardstock. Again, it's the back, so there, there's no finishing to it. It's it's not laminated in any way. Um, have you thought about that? You know, I've never thought about that, but it reminds me when you bring that up about the late '70s, where they were where Tops was probably still using one or two different printing presses, and like the '80 Tops Supers with the white backs that got replaced by the gray backs when they printed more. 79 football has, I believe, what they call cream-colored backs compared to white backs. Uh, there are other years where the backs are different. I mean, OPG 73, 74, I think, has what I call light-colored back and dark-colored backs in every card. So this is not a that would not be a unique phenomenon to have two different colored backs. The question is, is it two different colored backs because of printing, because of age of, you know, being out and about and being handled? You know, or what, you know, what are the reasons that could be that you have differences in the backs looking like that? Well, I don't think it's handling, but it, but it, there's, there's possible, but I think if there's a lot of them, then that, that makes, to me, make that less likely. And the more I think about it, the second printing plant is not even required. I, I did look on the back of the cards and there's no, you know, top sometimes would have like an A or a B or a C to kind of indicate what sheet, but that was much later in these earlier 67, which is you know pretty early on in Topps history, they were uh, even if they did have two printing plants, that's not even necessary. Just to have one printing plant, the way these cards are printed on uh, on cardstock, the, the cardstock's fed in, and if they run out of the white cardstock, they you know they toward the end maybe they put in some some uh, secondary cardstock that the, the, the big sheets that they printed. So it could still be the same printer, it could be or it could be a later print run with a slightly different uh, cardstock. 
Well, remember 62 tops, the sec what they call the second series, 110 to 196 with the green tints. Yeah. And then they are corrected purport purportedly that the, the second print is the more normal photos of the players and not the green tints. So there's even precedent for that. And I will throw out that I'm as curious as this now that you bring this up as anybody else. And I will, and I don't want to put this as a challenge, but if anybody wants to go through the comp C inventory yeah. and look and see if they can definitely find different color, different backs, I will verify and we'll add them. I mean, I'm okay with that. I don't mind adding to differences and stuff like that. Do you know, I mean, one, of the most, one of the great joys of my job here is adding differences like 94 collectors choice. There's like 10 cards of up close and personal that have a white border on the bottom or a black border on the front bottom. That's fine. The more, the more we add to the collecting universe, the better on this. So, Hey, go at it. Uh, be careful what you ask for, Rich. I mean, this Dean guy that's got all those cards stored remotely. He's got every card in every condition up there. And what I've noticed from ComC, it's not simple to uh, to flip to the back. You have to do it individually for a card. You can't look at all the backs. So you well, have to go well, in individually I, and flip well, it. Let's just say that I have I have some inside advantage on that, and we'll leave it at that. Oh, you're not I, 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 want, I, I want access to your tools. But uh, <laughs> I guess I'd have to be an employee to do that. I'm probably not willing to do that. Uh, 67 tops. What's the second best card in the set? Well, to me, uh, the best card in value is this, obviously the Tom Seaver rookie. That's obvious. What's second best? But to me, hmm, it'd be whatever card the photo I like off the top of my head because I'm just a big fan of this. I love the the full face photo of Jim Bouncer is the first card that I pictured. doing you know when you asked me that? Okay. okay. It's just one. My you know, and I'm going to go back to 57. Another of my favorite sets. My favorite card in the 57 set because of how it works is the Felix Mantia is the Felix Mantia rookie. Okay. To me, just how the card looks is. And that's the beauty of 67. There are so many cards that are just beautifully looked like that, that they really dug in and they really did it. One of my other favorite cards is 254 Mill Pappas, where somehow they left the Fascinely signature off the card. Okay. Okay, but not most beautiful or most quirky. What's What, what do you think is the second most valuable? Because clearly Seaver is, the Seaver rookie is is the the, the the key card, the most valuable card. But what do you think? I'll give you three choices, and you can respond to them. One would be uh, Mantle. We'll card number 150, Mickey 150 Charles. 150 Mantle. And then uh, – uh, Number 600, Brooks Charles Robinson. Brooks Robinson, yeah. And then and probably Rod Carew. Rod Carew. Those would be three. I mean, uh, Clemente is great too. Card number 400? 400 is correct, yes. Yeah. At any rate. But, uh, so I did a little bit of homework on this because I knew we were going to do this, and I, I found out that in the very first price guide – from back in 1979, the value of the Brooks Robinson was greater than all those other guys put together. Yes, because Brooks Robinson was a shortage, in the, uh, such a shortage. In the I think it still, it still is. He, he, was, he was recognized as being the toughest of the high numbers, whether it is or not. There may be others that are, that are tough as well. But it's price. And then even in the second year, same thing. The Seaver had gone up. At the, you could, you know, the, the value of the Brooks Robinson was a substantial part of the, of the value of the complete set. And, and just as I'll give you a couple a quick story, I used to pass on 79 Rod Carew rookies at 75 cents because they were too easy to find. Yeah. Well, you know what was even a better card than that almost was the Maury Wills. Yes. Oh, the Maury Wills was a Maury Wills was the last card I needed for my set. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I, paid, I paid all $5 for it in 1981 or 82, but that was the last card I needed for my set. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was, uh, yeah. So, and there's some, I think it's a beautiful set. Uh, if somebody says, do you like 66 or 67? 67 hands down, even 65, 64. If you go the other way, 67 to me is more aesthetically pleasing than 68, 69, 70, even 71. 72 is a little quirky, 73. My point to that is that 67 is the best set until maybe 83 even. 
Yeah. You know, you can make that's, a right, okay. that's, a, that's how long it is before I think they did a set as aesthetically pleasing as that. Well, it just shows that aesthetics matter. And the, the Tops Project 2020 that's been coming out shows that if you take even, I think some of the rookie cards that, that the artists are dealing with in that project are the, the original card. It was, I won't say boring, but it wasn't that exciting. And the artist's rendition of embellishing the card has been, wow. I just think, wow, that's that's really cool. But starting with 67, uh, 67 was not a pure card because it still has some stuff on there, but it, but the, the main feature of the card is the photo, I think. And what's funny is I bought, I think, a couple penny packs in 67 because I vividly remember having Tito Fuentes and Don Clendenin, but I didn't really start buying packs till 68. But I remember a few random 67s I owned for a long time. So I'm, I'm sure that I got placated at some point in my life with a penny pack here and there in 67. Yeah, I, I actually had some packs from the store. My brother uh, collected some 67 tops, which, which now are in my in my closet, not his, <laughs> but I'll make it. I've probably already made it up to him, but um, he, he didn't have that many, but he had a you know handful of cards that he picked up when he was because he's four years younger than me, but, but well, uh, me 62 high numbers. So I can't really, I can't really complain that he bought high numbers in 62. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, any other, uh, you know, 67, uh, there weren't really uh, a lot of pack inserts, were there? I mean, it's what you get. Yeah. But what I remember about 67 is that the 84 national in Parsippany, my very first sale I made is somebody went through my inventory at the time and bought, and he was from St. Louis and he bought every six series card I had. Because yeah. it's one of the, one of the interesting things is St. Louis did not get the six series, but they got tons of high numbers. So people would go to St. the St. Louis big show each year just to look to get a lot of 67 high numbers because that's where you would get them. Because with the Cardinals winning the world series that year, they probably delivered more high numbers, but for whatever reason, they didn't deliver the six series there. And one of the key cards in the six series in terms of, of toughness is number 485, Tim McCarver, which was a Cardinal. And, you know, we, we touched upon him and we talked about Euchre and Garagiola, and he's the third of the Cardinal triumvirate of catchers that became announcers. But th that's a really pretty card, as I'm thinking about it. I believe he's squatting, and it's a really pretty card. And you realize in St. Louis, that was probably as valuable at the time as the Brooks Robinson was in, in Baltimore. Well, yeah, I, I just, I think I've already told the story, so I won't repeat it, but I, I, I remember being at a show in Kansas City in 76 or something like that, maybe 77. And you found friends who split, who you split the high numbers. I with. had to split it with a guy that said, oh, I think I'm interested in those too, but, but it was 66 and 67 high numbers, but there weren't any next. So I've always thought that the, the next to last series, actually in both those years is, is also tough. Not, maybe not as tough if you look at the whole country, but like I said, certain parts of the country, the regional distribution, that's, that's, that's a that's a really interesting aspect of of what tops did in those days it surely wasn't an exact science they i don't know that the retailers asked for more cards or they just shipped them but there had to be some thing that made it a little bit random that not everybody got everything uh what uh one of the, one of the problems i remember in the early price guide days was the fact that there was some criticism over complete set prices compared to some of the individual cards and I think 67 Tops would really epitomize that. It was a tough set to put together. And yet, if you bought it as a complete set, you'd get a discount. Did, did the East Coast guys complain about that, too? Or was it? Complain might not be the right thing, but I know by the mid-'80s, our mutual friend Lou Lipset used to do a wonderful newsletter. And in his newsletter, he would actually do the math and do what he called the break factor, where if the, if the set was, a, to make the math simple, if the set was $1,000 and the cards added up to 1500 your break factor was one point five. Yeah. And, and if the I, big factor got high, then you broke the set. 
if the right. factor was low, you'd sell the complete set. Yeah. And we, yeah. we used to track that, but I didn't know Lou. Oh, that's great. Lou, uh, Lou was very innovative and uh, ahead of his time in many respects and a pretty amazing collector as well. And a great, and a great researcher. He did so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. The original old judge. Um, well, like I said, I didn't have that much firsthand knowledge, but I do know that when somebody, when I see some 67 tops, uh, I, I have a good feeling about that. Like I said, if somebody was, uh, more so than 66 or 68. I, I'm not trying, you know, the older, the better for me, but I think the 67s, I think the mantle, the 67 mantle is the a more card than, than six and 68, 69 is special. 65, I think is, is also. 65 is one of the toughest, it may be the toughest mantle of 60. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, any less thoughts about the 67 tops? Yes. You're, you're agreeing that's best set of the 60s? It's the best of the 60s. And, I, you know, and as I said, 62 was the first set I completed. I did basically what they call today a master set. 68 was the first set I dug into full time. You know, as a, as a young kid collector, I really dug in full bore and bought a lot of packs. But 67, I just love. I mean, there's so many quirks in some of these sets. And even we have, we barely touched upon it. Yeah. But there's a lot of fun quirks in 67 too. The Tigers rookies where they did a wrong photo. And then, then on the later Tigers rookie corrected what they did wrong and went on the back. We had the wrong photo on card 72. That's what I classic. Good note to end on. Uh, we obviously like this set and uh, we'll do some other sets. Uh, thanks listeners. Be back again tomorrow with uh, another episode.